Guys, you are so gracious and so caring, and it's been fantastic to be with you. Um, it's been a wonderful experience for me in terms of being with you in worship and prayer and just sharing together and learning a lot from you guys, and I really, really appreciate it. Um, there's a couple of things I just want to say. Um, was it Steph? Just was it Steph? Just spoke. Steph, I really identify with what he's saying. Um, I remember when I first learned to ski. I learned to ski in, in Lake Tahoe in uh, California, and I went up with my girlfriend at the time, and we went skiing. She was an expert skier. I was a total, total beginner. So she went off on the kind of off-piste and all that stuff, the Jean called Cleely stuff, and I went on the bunny on the bunny slopes with my snowplow and all this kind of stuff and I had not a clue and I was fairly uh, a fairly fit athlete kind of guy at the time and I was getting really really annoyed that I could not make these things work these planks on my feet and I found out a lesson really really quickly that actually I could start the journey and start the slide down the mountain but I had not a clue how to stop it so what happened was that I got going and I thought this is really fun, this is really fun and then I realised actually you know I couldn't stop this is not really fun, this is not really fun and I literally careered through a ski school it was like 10 pin bowling, there was people going everywhere and there was this very very cute lady who got up in a really nice suit uh, she was a ski bunny really she got up and she was in a really nice uh, ski suit but she used some very uncute words towards me about why I couldn't stop and I think that's a kind of a meta of the way that our lives sometimes work. We get on a journey, and it may even be a good journey, it might be a right journey, but we actually don't know how to slow down, turn right, turn left. We've forgotten how to snowplow emotionally so that we can bring ourselves to a halt. I learned a signal lesson that if you start something, you know how to, you do need to know how to stop. That's why um, in um, um, Saddleback, uh, Rick Warren, he always say that ministries have a life expectancy and he will not allow things just to go on ad infinitum just because they start. There is, there's a beginning and there's an ending to ministries and to areas of ministry that we need to change and some things that we need to let go of. And that's something that churches and pastors need to get a hold of. The other thing I'd like to say is that this really hit me when I read it recently. It's a, an entry into a, a book, a biography by Leighton Ford, his uh, son-in-law to uh, the late Billy Graham. And this is what he says, and you can fill in your own name if you want. Um, this was to Leighton from God. You matter to me not because you're a good speaker or a preacher. I made you, I value you, not your communication skills, but simply because you are my son, my child. And I love you for the one I have made you to be. That's what God does. It is not about performance. It is not about achievement. It is not about success. It is about a relationship that we have, a core, deep down, restful, secure relationship with the living God. That is what keeps us steady. Now, I've been preaching, and you might wonder if this is true or not, but I've been preaching since I was 14. I was converted, I was saved at 13 in a little charismatic church. I didn't know any other churches were any other different because we grew up in this, in the 19, um, very early 70s, 
back when dinosaurs were still walking across the plains. I came to Christ and I felt a call to preach. And I went out and I started preaching uh, little sermons and reading little Bible Bible verses and um, giving my testimony and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd begin to preach. And sometimes I'd preach in, in churches where the whole congregation were my dad, my nan, my other nan, and the organist. And that was the whole congregation. And as I progressed up the preaching ladder, I began to preach in bigger and bigger churches until I preached in some fairly big churches. And I remember a story of a church in London, I believe it was in London, where the vicar was getting extremely annoyed because he got this huge, great church and the people would always sit at the back of the church. They would never sit at the front of the church and it really, really annoyed him because he could, he almost needed binoculars to see the congregation sitting there at the back. So what he decides to do, he decides to ask an architect to intervene and to change the structure of the church. And he um, says, okay, can you do something for me? I'm going on vacation. When I get back, I'd like to see it changed. So the vicar returns and he comes in on Sunday morning and he sees this kind of nervous crowd of people outside. They don't go in. And he kind of took a peek around the door and there was no pews. None at all. And he turned to the architect and said, what have you done to my church? He said, just wait, they'll be fine, don't wait. So a few people shuffle in, and as they walk across to the back of the church, there's a whirring and a clunking, and up out of the floor comes a pew. And the people sit on it, and when they've sat on it and it's full, they all goes to the front like this, see? And then the, not, then the next lot get in, and they all go to the front. And so in the end, the church is filled front to back. The minister is absolutely thrilled and he starts to preach he's in the pulpit and he usually preaches for about 15 minutes and he preached for 20 minutes a bell rings and they slowly saw him lowered through the platform in the pulpit (laughs) that is not going to happen this afternoon I hope that I'm not going to get lowered through the platform whenever I'm working with organizations other than with church organizations hospitals, educational establishments and businesses they always say, Alan can you help our staff to get resilient, can you help our staff to be mentally strong can you give them mental stamina and that is the focus and reason that many organisations pay people like me to go in and do workshops and seminars and work with organisations in terms of teams and team structures to get them resilient, but one of the questions that I always want to ask and I think is a huge elephant in the room is, is the way that the organisation is working causing the lack of resilience in its individual staff? And that's a question that's never asked. So, for instance, I was at a synod uh, recently, speaking at a synod, and we had a very, very um, gifted academic tell us all about why we should stay strong in ministry. But there was a huge glaring uh, a mission in what that lady said and the fact was that the way we do ministry in my denomination is absolutely killing our pastors we're giving them multi-churches multi-responsibilities lack of resources they're running around like blue-tailed flies trying to accommodate all this pastoral ministry um, they're literally literally hydroplaning over things not being able to do it because there's so much going on Now, I come out of a background where you had one church, you were the pastor or a teaching elder in that church, and you focused on that church. 
I have never ever had responsibility for more than one church. Now I do. I have responsibility for more than one church. And it's very draining, it's very discouraging, and it doesn't really work. But no one will bite the bullet and go, you know what guys, what we need to do is reconfigure and recalibrate the way we do ministry. And let me say this too, that ministry does not stay the same in every epoch, in every generation. Ministry changes. And we need to be alive to the Holy Spirit and the risen Christ who is speaking into our churches and adjusting and recalibrating the way we do ministry. Because if you don't, what will happen is you will accrete. Do you understand what I mean by accrete? You'll gather stuff to you that will become culturally unchallengeable. You'll start to develop a culture of ministry and the way you do stuff in your church that won't get challenged but is actually causing distress to the people involved in ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so easy to take on a culture and an approach to ministry that actually we think works and it does work. Wesley riding around on a horse in a circuit preaching all those churches two or three hundred years ago worked. It doesn't work now. I don't want to ride a horse around the M25, guys. All right? It doesn't work. It worked then. It doesn't work now. And I think it's really important that you and I constantly ask, not about the health of our staff, but how healthy are we as an organization? And when I work with exec teams, and I work with them quite a lot, I will say, actually, if you want healthy staff, do you have a healthy organization? Do you have a way of working? Do you have policies and procedures that actually support and help your staff? Or are your policies and procedures and ways of working militating against what you want to achieve? And some churches have got themselves into a total rut in terms of ministry. And what they do is they do ministry in a way that is actually destroying the people involved in ministry. And we need to challenge it. We need to challenge it because I think that we need to be what um, Senge calls a learning organisation. And for goodness sake, guys, if we are Christians and God's people, we should be learning all the time. The Holy Spirit should constantly bring in newness, new life, new direction, new inspiration, new ways of doing things. And what we need to be able to do is to learn so that we might improve. Most people don't learn so they don't improve. Most churches don't learn so they don't improve. So what we need to do is to be a learning organisation. It's insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If, if ministry isn't working in a certain context or in a certain situation geographically, it may be you need to do ministry differently. The ministry that I do in my work is totally different from any other ministry I've ever been involved in. And it's meant my theology has had taken a little bit of a kind of a, a, a relook. And the ways of doing ministry, taking a relook. How am I doing ministry? Am I doing it in the right way? Or am I just doing it kind of by um, some kind of rote or robotically? Uh, could it be that the way we do pastoral leadership is partially causing the problem of pastoral burnout? I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to throw that out to you as a group of churches to ask that question. Something is wrong, guys. 
The level of burnout amongst Christian pastors in this country and all over the world, mostly in the Western world, might I say, mostly in the Western world, America, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, Europe, lots and lots of burnout. You can't keep saying it's the individual pastor's fault that they should stay fit, that they should stay resilient. There must be something going on at an organisational, systemic level that is causing some of the grievance that these guys are experiencing. Do you agree or not? Okay, so that means that we need to constantly be in contact with the living Christ. I I love this uh, phrase by Jaroslav Pelikan. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. Are we living a living faith? Is it current? Is it being breathed into by the Holy Spirit? Is it being animated and energised by the Spirit? Or have we locked into a tradition? You know, we sing a, a song two or three times, it becomes tradition. Well, we've always sung that song. But we've always prayed at this time in the service. I come out of the brethren. Anybody else? Yeah, I come out of the brethren. The brethren doesn't have a liturgy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. The brethren has a liturgy. It's an unstructured, unwritten liturgy. But I just absolutely know after that hymn, Brother So-and-so is going to stand up and pray. And I absolutely know that after that, someone's going to get up and minister from the Word. They're built into our kind of DNA. Have we locked ourselves into traditionalism? Have we created a culture that we're not aware of? Fish are not aware that they're swimming in water. They don't go, oh, that's a lovely lot of water today. That's their culture. And when you're in a culture, you are not aware of it until someone pokes it or challenges it. When someone pokes it or challenges it, suddenly you're aware that you're in a culture. And we are all in a culture. Don't, don't, guys, don't try and go, ah, we're not in a culture. We are free in the spirit. No, we're all in a culture. Do you get it? I think it's true. We're enculturated. And when you're enculturated, it's really hard to break free from that. That is why I'm saying right at the bottom of my, uh, my overhead there, are there things that Jesus is saying to you as a group of churches that you're not hearing? What's been our kind of motif through the day? Be still and know that I am God. You have to be still to hear. I am constantly going back to things like this. Um, Here I stand, says Jesus. This is not about salvation. This is Jesus trying to get his foot through the door of a church. Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, with that person, and they with me. Jesus is knocking on the door. He wants to speak to us. He wants to redefine ministry. He wants to recalibrate ministry. I'll leave you to work out how that looks, but that's something you need. Don't neglect that kind of reflection. Don't, ref- don't neglect to think about what Jesus is saying to you right now. Okay, I'm going to finish this afternoon by talking about some issues to do with pastoral resilience. Really practical, guys. I want to be really practical with you because sometimes we miss the practicalities. Number one, get an annual f- physical checkup. All right? 
go and see your GP once a year and go through a checkup. It's really, really important. Go and do that. Get a regular spiritual checkup. Have someone you can go to who you can talk to about what's going on in your life, who you can say, ah, like you do to the doctor, open your mouth, let it come out, and share what's going on and see what they have to say. Really important. Spiritual director or mentor. Organize your private and public world. Use a calendar. Um, the way that I operate is that I have to have a calendar. If not, my life goes mayhemic. I have to have a calendar. I have to record in the calendar what I'm doing. I have to see in advance what I'm doing in certain pinch points through the year. If not, my life would go out of control. I know it's uh, very practical, but it's very, very important. Have a Sabbath day. Have a Sabbath day. The word Sabbath or Shabbat literally means to stop what you're doing and attend fully to God. And the word also means not only to stop what you're doing and attend fully to God, it means to be able to delight in God. That you throw off all the other shackles, all the other responsibilities, and you give yourself fully over to God to enjoy God's presence. It's a part of the rhythm of life. It's the poise, the poise between the notes which gives you the harmony and the melody. It's the quiet in between the waves. It's that poise moment, that pause moment, that standing still moment, when you can take back all the goodness that God wants to give you, where you can worship God. It's not the same as a day off, pastors. Your day off is not your Sabbath. You need another period where you have a Sabbath day. Sunday, guys, for you in ministry is not Sabbath. You are working. You are delivering pastoral ministry. You're preaching. You're doing all your pastoral stuff. You need another time designated ring fence where you can meet with God, where you can enjoy God, where you can celebrate God, where you can have fun. We are homo ludens. That means we are people made to enjoy fun. And having a present moment with God is so important. So have a weekly Sabbath. It's not your day off. It's not Sunday. Now you're going, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But it needs to be thought about. If you don't put it in, it won't occur. It has to be planned in. A Sabbath day, ring fence it. Even if you have to go away from where you live. When we had Sabbaths in Calgary, I would go out of Calgary, away from the city. I would not take my phone. I would go away outside and meet with God. That was the only way I could do it. I couldn't do it any other way. So it's really important. Have quarterly, yearly, and bi-yearly Sabbaths. Build it into the structure and rhythm of your life. So, so important. Sabbath keeping is not the same as a rest day. Eugene Peterson calls the minister's rest day, he doesn't actually say that, I won't use the word, but it's illegitimate. He calls it an illegitimate Sabbath. Sabbath keeping needs space and time. Learn to say no without feeling guilty. Learn to be able to say, you know what, And one of the things I've learned is that if someone comes and asks me to do something, I won't say, yes, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll think about it, and I'll get back to you. Even better, have a PA. I used to have a PA who used to work for the chief of police, and I wondered why no one came to see me. They never got past her. She was like, ultimate 
doctor's receptionist. (laughs) They will not pass. But you need that filter system. So if someone asks you to do something, instead of agreeing to it, and then emotionally committing to it, what you do is go, actually, you know what? Thanks for that. I need to think about it. I'll come back to you. And that gives you some uh, time to think it through. Delegate. Delegate. Really important. That's uh, Moses uh, in Exodus with Jethro. What you're doing, Moses, is not a good thing. You're wearing yourself out and you're wearing the people out. You need to adjust. You need to delegate. You need to give somebody else some of this responsibility. It's really, really important. And actually, if we don't delegate, if we don't share ministry, we're actually denying the body of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit. Actually, even though I think, you know, I'm the big cheese, there are people out there who can do things much better than me, are gifted more than me, have the spiritual gifts more than me, and have the aptitudes and history doing these things, and they should be able to do them. And sometimes when ministry becomes focused around one person, which is not good for them, for their mental health, and it's not good for the church, what happens is you get a shrinkage in the church, and you get a passivity in the church. You get a passive, dependent congregation. The pastor is late. He's forgotten the date. So what will the faithful do now, poor things? They'll sit in the pew with nothing to do and sing a collection of hymns, poor things. (laughs) Ministry is whole body ministry. Yes, do you believe this? Okay, so that means that I am not the person who dispenses ministry. I am not the person who holds all the spiritual gifts. There are gifted people, spiritual people, spiritual ministers who need to be able to share that load. And that is, I think, something that Moses points forward to. Nothing grows under the banyan tree. The banyan tree is an incredible thing. It's got this kind of wide canopy that underneath it, nothing germinates and grows. If you are a leader with a wide canopy and you don't allow anybody else to take on ministry and you're not building ministry succession into your work, you are going to end up exhausted and with no people coming up behind you to continue the ministry. You you and I need to become, according to Ephesians, equippers. Equippers of the saints for the work of ministry. That means I pour myself into other people so that they can do the works of ministry. I am an equipper. That's my role in the church. I am to equip you as a congregation to do the works of ministry. I cannot do all the works of ministry myself and neither should I try to. It's not healthy. The trouble is we still feel we're indispensable. We still feel that if we don't do it, it won't get done. Worse still, they won't do it as good as me. And we have to learn to live with that. We have to learn to live with the fact that people will have to mature and grow just like we matured and That I was rubbish at certain things when I was younger. I've grown into it. Give these people a chance to, to grow into it as well. So we need to be equippers. Build boundaries into your life. You and I need to have a division between when we are at work and when we're in ministry and when we step out of work and ministry and we go home. If you allow seepage from your work or ministry to come into your home, you will not get the recovery that you need. 
and it will seep into your time off and your refreshment times and your recovery times. Think of an athlete, guys. When an athlete does exertion, they have a recovery time afterwards before they do the next exertion, right? Often you and I are allowing stuff to seep into our downtimes that we're so tired that we're tired when we go back into ministry. And we're not recovering, we're not rejuvenating, we're not being restored. So we need to set boundaries. Set boundaries. This is ministry, this is my time off, I'm going to guard these times. Particularly if you're a family, meal times. Don't answer that cotton picking phone. They can wait, they'll get back to you. How often when I was younger in ministry, the, the phone would go, I would leave. It's not good. We don't need to do that. Build a fence or a fenced-in time for prayer, reading the Bible and meditation. Now, I'm probably so anal that I actually have to put this into my calendar, in my diary. I have PBM. That's not a disease. Uh, I put it into my calendar. It's prayer it's reading the Bible and it's meditation meditation literally means to chew the cud it means to masticate it means to chew something over to get the juice out of it you need time not only reading the scriptures informationally but you need to read the scriptures so that they're actually doing you good going down deep into the core of who you are and spending time in prayer I found that Prayer walks really help. How many of you tried this? Yeah, yeah. Prayer walks are really good. They've got two benefits. One, you're out walking. And if you're out walking, just another little bit of psychology or kind of neuroscience for you. When you go out, even when you go out and it's cloudy, the sun that comes through the cloud, the sun's rays that come through the cloud, work on receptors in your eyes that help you to sleep at night. So even if you're out walking in a cloudy day and you're receiving that light from the sun, it actually helps with your circadian rhythm. It helps you to sleep. And prayer walk, I find actually, if I sit still, I fall asleep. Or my mind wanders. Or I'll think of something I should be doing. Or I'll get interrupted. If I go for a walk, I can pray. So I walk around and I talk to God. Really, really important. Journaling I find really helpful really helpful because it actually says in my journal what God is saying to me, what I'm learning and I can look back and see where God has brought me. So I find journaling really helpful and actually it helps me in my reading the scriptures. Um, It just helps me to note down the things God is saying and the special emphasis of the, the words. Another practical thing, make sure you take all your holidays. I'm not, I don't even know now. Mike, how many weeks holiday do you get? Or a year? Five weeks? Five weeks? No. That's, yeah, five. Um, fives? Yeah. Do you use them all? Uh, yes. Yay! Yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely use to the nth degree all of your annual leave. Use all your holiday assignment, take it and really, really enjoy it and go away if you can. Get as far away as you possibly can from your point of work and ministry. Really important. Use all your study days. Do you get study days? Use all your study days. Use all your conference days. 
because all of these build back into you. When I was teaching at university, I used to get um, three months off a year. Three months off a year. You don't get three months off a year because you're meant to be doing research and preparation, but it was great not being in the university. I could be away and I could be studying on a beach (laughs) with a tequila. Let's just pause before we move on. What if I'm talking and actually the horse has already bolted? You're already in a state of elevated anxiety um, or burnout or depression. Maybe some of you are. There's no Harry Potter cure. I can't wave a wand over you. But what I want to tell you is this. Don't feel guilty about where you're at. Okay? Don't feel bad about feeling bad. Simply because you're a Christian, simply because you're a pastor, that doesn't exempt you from experiencing some of these physical ailments. Ask for help. Don't be tempted to suffer in silence. It only makes things worse. Anxiety and depression loves isolation. If you hide away from people, you'll get worse. Talk honestly and openly to your spouse. Let them be part of that process. Talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. Explain how you're feeling. Don't hide it. Um, Find someone who you really trust to talk to them about it. Also, I'd say see your GP. More things that might help you. Let's move on here. The things that will help you guys and help me are exercise. Exercise is the number one stress buster. Uh, but, uh, two, uh, two years ago, uh, no, 2015, the Chief Medical Officer of Great Britain wrote this massive, massive piece of uh, research on stress and burnout amongst um, NHS employees and the general population. And he came up with this thing. If we had more people doing more exercise, we'd have less anxiety and less depression. And if you're really mad, cold water swimming, if you're depressive, cold water swimming is a fantastic, it seriously is, cold water, I'm not talking in the bath, I'm not talking warm, I'm talking like in a lake or really, really cold pool, it really does work on your, uh, it really does work on your depressive illness. So exercise is important. Uh, hobbies are important getting in the zone is important chillaxing is important having fun is really restorative think of times when you've had a blast where you've had a belly laugh where you've had a great wonderful time how refreshed and relaxed you feel laughter is important time to celebrate is important all of these things build positively into our psyche Remember that if you keep a bow always bent, it will lose its power. So if you're constantly on alert, in the end, you will lose the flexibility and the power and the energy that you should have in your life. Try slow. There's a whole worldwide movement called the slow movement. Have you come across it? These books are wonderful. Um, Now, I've got to confess my sins. This is the first one that I read. But I sped read it in about an hour and a half. <laughs> which I <laughs> so I <laughs> that's true. I sat I sat on my bed and I thought, dang, this is a good book. And I read it in an hour and a half, and then I thought, Doy. actually that was not the point. Walk slower. 
Pause and see what's around you. Drink slow. Don't be a glugger when you drink. Drink slowly. Eat slower. Uh, take your time over things. It's a really important thing, both for your physical uh, health and your mental health. Take a techno Sabbath. Oh my goodness. Um, I have taken phones off teenagers uh, when I've been teaching in schools and it's been like the same expression that you get from a, a, a baby when you get separation anxiety. If you take a baby away from his parent, it gets this total fear. Ooh, oh, oh. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. Okay, we'll give it back to you in a day or so. No, not a day or so. How many of you do practice Techno Sabbath? Yeah. It's really good for the soul, guys. It's really good for the soul. Put your phones away. Put your devices away. Have a time when you get together and you do something called talking. It's something that we used to do. Talking. You open your mouth and you talk to people. It's really, really important. Try pets. Now, pets are... I don't mean eat them. I mean try... (laughs) I mean try pets. Pets are... Basically, they they give us unconditional love. Um, they, They give us something to care for. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, one way of lifting depression is to give someone who is depressed an animal or a pot plant to look after and when they focus on looking after that animal or pot plant their anxiety or depressive disorder lifts because they are focusing on caring for something else animals are very very important do you notice the kind of treble whammy apart from this crazy person walking 16 dogs where is she? outside, what's she doing? She's walking, okay, so she's getting all those benefits, taking your dog for a walk. If you've got a goldfish, a bit more difficult, but actually pets are really important, very important. Let your soul catch up. I'm sure you've read this in uh, um, several places I've read this. It says this, the English writer, travel writer Bruce Chatwin wrote about a group of white explorers who were trying to force the pace of the African uh, porters. The porters, within sight of the destination for the day, sat down and refused to move. As they explained to their frustrated employees, we are waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. Wow, what a wonderful metaphor. Sometimes I've run so fast my soul is left behind. And I need to slow down long enough to let my soul catch up with me. If you want to study it, we can't this afternoon, but Elijah's exhaustion, and you see his burnout in, in 1 Kings 19, God does some really practical things for him. First of all, God gave him rest. He gave him periods of sleep to recover. God gave him reassurance that his ministry wasn't over, that he was going to still use him. And then God gave him resources in terms of food. I think it was angel food cake because an angel produced it. But he gave him food. Interestingly enough, if you are a little bit scientific, if you want to go science nerd with me just for a minute, one of the problems that we get with jangly anxiety is sugar depletion. And when our sugar, blood sugars go down, our anxieties go up. So actually eating properly and making sure that we are um, both hydrated and fed is, is important. Uh, Learn to rest in God. Um, Learn the rest that God himself experiences. That's what Hebrews is talking about. 
Learn to experience what God experiences himself. Learn to experience the peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God that means God is at rest and content with himself. That things are settled with God. We can have that same sense of settled and that peace. Right, how do you fill up your tank? Uh, Sleep's really important. If you can't sleep, guys, seek help to help you sleep. Some of you might need to have a medication to help break the cycle of not sleeping. There's uh, things like Zopoclone, that's a mild sedative that w- will help you actually break. It's not addictive and it'll help you break, and it's prescriptive, it has to be prescribed, but it will help you break that cycle of not being able to sleep. Look at your diet, food and mood are connected. What you eat and drink affects how you feel and act. Uh, look at recreation, look at retreats and mini retreats. Um, do things that energize you, sport, hobbies, reading, go to the movies, go to the theatres, walk, music, all of these things are really vital if you want to stay well mentally. Use exercise in walk, walking. Mindfulness, mindfulness is staying in the present. Most of our anxiety comes because we're, we're actually thinking about what's going to happen in the future. Jesus said what? Jesus said today's has enough. Absolutely. So Jesus said basically care about today because today's got enough cares for itself. Differentiate yourself from your work. I am not a pastor. I am Alan, a child of God who happens to be a pastor. Do you get the difference? There is a differentiation in my identity. My identity is not in me being a pastor or a psychologist or a doctor. My identity is in being a child of God who happens to do all those things. There is a real differentiation that needs to be there. It's absolutely beyond doubt that green places are restorative. There's lots of scientific research going on to show us that actually spending time in green places restores us at a number of levels. It also helps us in terms of psychosomatic disorders, but it certainly helps us to rest. I think, this is my own theory, I think that we were created and designed by God to be rural people and that cities do a number on us. When you come into a city, into an urban conurbation, lots of people are put together. You put animals close together in a tight confined place, their anxiety goes right up and so does their aggression. So I think that we were made to enjoy green places. I live literally across the road from the beach. And I went, I know, I'm sorry. And when I undo, when I undo the windows, I can hear the sea. And some days I just go and sit down near the sea and listen to the waves coming in and pulling out. There is something very therapeutic, even if you record it and listen to it. It's really, really uh, peaceful and restorative. Someone told me this when I was a young pastor, as a young Christian. If you don't come apart with Jesus, you'll simply come apart. We need those times to come apart and be with Jesus alone. Come to me, all you who are exhausted. Come to me, all you are weighed down by heavy burdens, and I, I, I will give you rest. Jesus will give you rest. Take my yoke. The yoke is Jesus' approach to life. It's the Jesus life. Take the Jesus life upon you. It's the teaching that Jesus taught and the life that Jesus led. Take that yoke upon you. Take his burden, and you'll find that his burden is light. 
because he has worked out how best to live life. Just going to move on here. Without him, you can do nothing. There was an American football team came over from the States to Britain and they um, brought a, uh, a um, cheerleader group with them and their cheerleaders would go, you can do it, you can do it, you can really, really do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can really, really do it. At half time they were losing 54-0. <laughs> you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't really, really, really do it. Without him, we can do nothing. What is it? That says it in John's Gospel, doesn't it? Without him, we can do nothing. It's really important. Let me just share this with you. It's something that I say regularly to myself. You think about it and see if it resonates with you. We always say, Jesus is all we need. But when Jesus is all we've got, then we'll know that Jesus is all we need. It's until you and I get to that place of ultimate dependency upon God, we've got nothing else, Jesus is all we've got, then we'll know that Jesus is all we need. One of the guys earlier read this, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. A bruised reed, um, they used to use reeds as little kind of reed flutes, didn't they? And when the reed got bruised and unplayable, they just tossed it away. But God is saying, I'm not going to toss you away, even if you can't play a musical note. I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to use you to play music again. He doesn't... He doesn't uh, um, snuff out a smouldering wick. What he does is he pours in oil. What does oil symbolise in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So he pours in refreshing drafts of the Spirit. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint wait on the Lord wait on the Lord means stop desist pause listen you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast on him or stayed on him because they trust in you this really hit me because this was, my, this was my story, the top lines. Are you tired, worn out, and this is it, burnt out by religion? I was sharing with somebody, I've been in, um, approached to take on board being a senior pastor again uh, in a church. <coughs> to start with, I was flattered. thought they want this old guy, this old geezer come and be a pastor with them and then I thought hang on a sec the last time I did this I got my butt severely burnt okay I have been burnt out with religion haven't you in times of my life are you tired worn out burnt out on religion come to me Jesus says get away with me and you'll recover your life I will show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. <laughs> That's lovely, isn't it? I won't lay anything heavy or, or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, guys, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'm coming back to this. My true identity is not my work. My true identity is my relationship with God. 
my relationship as made in his image, a precious child of God, forgiven of all past wrongs, healed of all past wounds, and a new and precious identity in Jesus Christ. I just want to play this to you as we finish.
I don't know about you, but I really want to meet with God. I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. I don't want to read about the life that Jesus lived. I want to live the life that Jesus lived in me. I don't want to think about people coming to Christ. I want to see people coming to Christ. I don't want to think about my brothers and sisters in ministry who are struggling. I want to see them come through to spiritual and mental and physical health. There is stuff that I need to lay down, Father. There's the arrogance that I feel when I think that I know too well, no better than you. There's a realisation that sometimes I realise that actually, God, you're more humble than I am. Jesus, you laid aside your majesty and gave up all for me. This stuff, Father, I'm not willing to let go of yet, but I pray that you rest them loose. There's stuff in my life that I know that needs to be adjusted and changed and let go of. But this afternoon with my brothers and sisters, I just want to invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to flush out from inside of me all the toxins and all the garbage and all the things that cause me to be weary, cause me to be lethargic, cause me to be fatigued, cause me to be irritable with the people I love. And I pray that you'd flood me with the love of Christ. I pray that you'd pour out on me and on my brothers and sisters an anointing that actually is an epoch changing, epoch making thing, that there is a before and an after I pray that this afternoon that we will experience something that will say actually you know what, from that day things began to change and like Steph said earlier on, practical things, practical things putting them into our lives not thinking about them, talking about them, thinking they're a good idea, but going, Father, with your strength, I'm going to recalibrate my life around you. I'm going to restore my life around you. I'm going to know that presence of the power of the Spirit and that rest of God. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you know everything about us but still want to be our friends. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, bless us. I pray, Lord God, that you'd anoint these people now. Touch them, Lord God. Lord, it's not about science, not about psychology, not about clever thinking. It's about you touching people's lives. And I pray this afternoon you will touch these folks' lives, that your Holy Spirit will touch down on them now, that the Holy Spirit will give them that full assurance that they are saved, that the things are settled, that they are safe in the hands of the living God. They are safe with you, Lord. And I pray for our kids, I pray for my boys, I pray for the families here, I pray for children. Lord, some of them who don't know you, please God, bring them to know you. May we not set any boundary, any barrier in their way that stops them wanting to come to see Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, that we've let the church hurt our children. Father, restore our kids. Bless them, Lord, wherever they are now. Give them a touch of your spirit. And Lord, for some of these people here who 
outwardly look fine, but inwardly is struggling. I pray that you'll do an internal intervention in their lives right now. That your Holy Spirit would touch them and do what he needs to do. I don't want to play games with you, God. I don't want to act out. I want to really know you. Touch my heart again. Warm my heart. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.